0: These days, many sources are highlighting the shocking scale of the global mental health crisis and how this affects approximately a staggering 1 billion people worldwide. This is over one-seventh of the global population. Unfortunately, as harrowing and monstrous this number is, the investor Christian Angermeyer wrote in a blog post, it is my belief this is a gross underestimate. Ultimately, the number of people needing mental health support is arguably all 100% of the world's population. This is one of the reasons why I invited Dr. Jonathan Sporn, CEO of Gilgamesh Pharmaceutical, to gain more insights into the unmet medical need in mental health and the promising noble psychedelic drug development sector.
1: Uh, you're a scientist, and now you have a microscope. So, the microscope obviously has you know was sort of like the telescope for astronomy, and um, and people have sort of uh, suggested that you know psychedelics are sort of the equivalent of the microscope or the telescope uh, uh, for psychiatry.
0: Doctor Chonoffusborn is a board certified psychiatrist assistant professor at Columbia University and CEO of Gilgamesh Pharmaceuticals based in New York City, which is developing novel psychedelic-related or inspired medicines to treat mental illness. Dr. Sporn graduated from Duke University and Medical School and University of Miami and did a residency in psychiatry at Tufts New England Medical Center and fellowship at Harvard and the National Institute of Mental Health, where he helped set up the mood and anxiety program. Dr. Sporn was on faculty at Mass General Hospital in Boston and chief of psychiatry at the Boston Area Hospital. After leaving academia, Dr. Spohn was a researcher at Johnson & Johnson in psychiatry and virology. After leaving J&J, Dr. Spohn worked at Pfizer, where he was an internal disease area expert in psychiatry and worked on various drug programs, such as Lyrica and the Development Program for the antidepressant Dr. Sporn left Pfizer to found the biotech company Perception Neuroscience, which is currently in phase two development of a novel antidepressant, R-ketamine. Subsequently, Dr. Sporn co-founded Gilgamesh Pharmaceuticals, which is affiliated with Columbia University to develop new chemical entities inspired by the revolution around psychedelic drugs. Gilgamesh Pharmaceuticals is a Y-combinator startup with funding from various VCs, such as Prime Movers Lab. Gilgamesh expects its first products to enter clinical trials in Q4 2022. Gilgamesh Pharmaceuticals' mission is to develop noble compounds that capture the therapeutic benefits of psychedelics to fundamentally reshape the treatment of mental illness. Gilgamesh's AI-powered platform is accelerating the design and discovery of the new chemical entities, which offer improved safety, tolerability, duration, and efficacy. The Gilgamesh team is a team of passionate neuroscience experts with decades of experience within large biopharma like Pfizer, Merck, Regeneron, Biochain, and Lilly. Exited startups like Perception Neuroscience, Curious, Springworks, Therapeutics, or Biohaven, and has a profound background in academia like Columbia University, Harvard University, NYU, Yale, and UCSD. In this episode, we talk about The global mental health situation, the history of psychedelic drug development, investors in this promising area, the background story to the foundation of Gilgamesh Pharmaceutical, and the different ingredients needed to structure a noble game-changing drug development company. I hope you enjoy the show the same way as I did. Jonathan, it's good
1: to see you. Where are you currently? I am in uh, Manhattan, on the island of Manhattan in New York City
0: this is a great place. I would love to go there. How is life in Manhattan these days?
1: It's, uh, you know, surprisingly back to normal. So, you know, the, uh, it seems that, uh, uh everyone's, uh, out it's hard to get a restaurant reservation since so it's, it's, and, uh, guards really? are coming back. And so, um, yeah, so I, I, I was not, uh, I had evacuated to the mountains in North Carolina for the, pandemic, but uh I was not that excited about coming back. But now it seems that uh it's kind of the 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 you know the feeling in New York's kind of back.
0: Well what do you like more? Do you like more the life in the city or the life in the mountains? What what's uh
1: you know I like everything that's not in the middle, you know. <laughs> uh, so if you know it's not the suburbs. I, I like uh I like being in like um you know, in the mountain, you know, deep in the mountains where I mostly see bears and wild turkeys, or, uh, or, or, or in Manhattan, uh, you know, uh, uh, w- where there's just turkeys.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm going to San Diego next week. I mean, it's also the United States, but it's on the other side. So it's uh, pretty exciting to have have you here. You are currently in Manhattan, in New York. What was the reason why you decided to to go to move to New York?
1: Well, I I was wor- I had moved from working for the government at the NIH to Princeton and uh, had and was working for then for Johnson and Johnson in in New Jersey. And then um my uh wife got a professorship at Columbia and um I was a little bored at Chain J at that moment. So I uh, uh decided I would take a job at Pfizer um in the head- corporate headquarters here in New York and it made you know, and, and I, I, I think though also I, 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 you know, to me, uh, you know, living in New York was always a goal, you know, just, mm-hmm. I, I like the culture.
0: What do you like the most, um, living in New York?
1: I like, um, I like the, 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 uh, the energy, the, the sort of, uh, uh, you know this the sort of a uh, you know people from everywhere that come there that kind of want to you know do something that's that's interesting or or you know kind of are talented people and um and and I I like that you know there's a lot of uh, cultural opportunities and just interesting things. There's always sort of a you know some random interesting thing that will happen to you if you spend time here.
0: I believe that New York is a big big city from from my point of view i live in vienna it's uh, two million in evidence and i think new york is about 15 millions if i remembered right uh
1: no, yeah something like that
0: yeah it's huge uh jonathan let's jump into the topic of uh, of this podcast um about i think six to 12 months ago i read a couple of uh, posts and articles on linkedin from christian angermeyer and yeah. uh one one stood out and uh, he he said um uh, 100% of the of the world's population has mental health issues and we need to do something against it. And he's advocating... 100%? 100%. 100% he's going for 100%. He says, everybody oh, okay. needs support. <laughs> okay. All
1: right.
0: And his solution is psychedelic drugs. And um, I read a couple of his posts and he just pops them up frequently. And one day, I think it was last year in October, I read an article about um, Jonathan Sporn. A former Harvard and NH scientist uh, who's returning to the psychedelics field with a new biotech after selling his last efforts to the Buzzy Atai Life Science, which happens to be funded by Christian Angermeyer. And I'm really happy that you are here today in this podcast, in this episode, so that they can ask you some questions. Uh, let's start with this uh, mental health problems in society and 100%. What's your opinion? How 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 challenging is mental health these days for our society?
1: Well... Obviously, 100% is hyperbole, and I'm sure you know Christian knew that. But, um, I don't really think that I need to convince you or your audience that you know the world right now has, uh, you know, significant mental health, you know, challenges, and you can see that I think through so many le- lenses right now, you know. So, um, I think that, uh, uh you know. The uh, number of people that have um, anxiety disorders has increased. Um, mood disorder, uh, mm-hmm. suicide rates are very, very high and have increased over the years. Um, uh, you know, addiction issues have, have also, I think, were high and spiked. I think further since uh, I'm not really following the exact epidemiology, but I, I think that it's even if you just read the newspaper, you 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 you'd be uh, pretty well. Uh, 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 you know and accepting that this is a, a major problem um, pretty much worldwide and and um, you know and I think we're I'm, I'm guessing that we're seeing also that even though the the pandemic now has you know abated somewhat um, that the world is still sort of uh, um, kind of, you know the, the sort of after effects you or the the aftershocks of it, are still, you know, I think affecting people psychologically, and you know, um, and as you know, in the U.S., there's this tremendous uh, violence problem with guns, and um, and you know, a lot of tragic things going on that you know are likely, at least in part, um, you know, mental health uh, related.
0: Yeah, I read about it in the newspaper. It's uh, it's a very sad story about the latest shooting in the United States.
1: Yeah, it's happening every day.
0: Oh. It's really that often. Just get some some news here.
1: Pretty much, like it's it's literally. Uh, I don't remember how many, but it's there's been already like uh, you know over a hundred of these things in this year. Something like
0: that. Well, what's your opinion? Why is there such a spike? What are, what are the root causes of these problems?
1: I, you know, and and, and uh, you know, I. I, I, I think it's always a, a, a risk. People that are not experts in uh, in a particular, you know, in in, in you know, or experts in one thing, but you know, sort of beginning to be, to be asked to be experts in in, in everything. But um, uh, I, I think that uh, the, I, I mean, in the U.S., you have mental health problems, and you have mental health problems everywhere. Um, You know, and um, I think in the U.S., you just obviously have that mixture of mental health problems, plus this, you know, very, very easy availability of lethal weapons um, that I'm sure in Vienna is not the case. Um, And so I think, um, you know, so so I, I don't have a feel for what the mental health situation is in, in Europe, but I think that, uh, you know, the violence issue in the U.S. is sort of driven in part by that, you know, by we- weapons. But I, I, I think it's also sort of the, in, in general, the mental health issue is 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 also, uh, uh, you know, predicated on the fact that people are very uh, have been isolated. Um, and um, and left to their own devices and I think that sort of you know kind of connectivity between people um, and connect and sort of social fabric has been torn rather substantially by, you know, the pandemic, but you know, in, in the U S it, it wasn't in there, there was a lot, I think that's always been the case that there's, you know, there's been a lot of people that are, uh, you know, I think loneliness, uh, grief, uh, there's, you know, a lot of that. uh, I think uh, a lot of people have been traumatized. I I think a lot of the healthcare workers um, uh, have been like living in like a war zone, essentially. Um, So uh, you know you put all that together um and you know add uh you know add in potent opiates uh you know that are you know, you know the as you know there's a fentanyl uh um is now in pretty much um a lot of illicit drugs that are flowing um into countries and um you know so that that, that so i think that there there's a lot of factors.
0: Yeah, I agree. The pandemic put a lot of stress on people. I mean, I'm not an expert in that, but what, what they'll get from the news here in Austria, I mean, we don't have uh, we have stricter gun laws than in the United States. Um, but uh, one study I got was that uh, children already, due to the lockdowns and the the, the frequent changes in measures. Um, have, uh, the, the mental health issues with children are up to 30, 50% of all children of all the population here in Austria have mental health issues, basically, um, as an after effect of the pandemic. And I completely agree to what you say. Also, the healthcare workers had a lot of stress to go through and a lot of changes in the last, um, months. What well, I was wondering, um, um, when I read uh, about you and your company and uh, what you build and how you sold it to a life science and what you're building now, um, I mean, mental health is is not a new problem, and they always thought there are enough solutions on the market already, uh, antidepressants, for example. Uh, What's the situation? Why, Why is it necessary to develop something new, in your opinion?
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby.
1: uh christian the the I, I i'm old and i started you know practicing psychiatry um you know when uh the uh you know uh, ssris um had you know like prozac uh, mm-hmm. flock had just come on the market and you know back then this was a really big deal um, because before that all we had were, were drugs like tricyclic antidepressants which was a little bit like taking a depressed suicidal person and handing them a gun because these drugs were, if you took a, if you took an overdose of them, they were quite deadly. And um, so it, it, and and they also had a lot of side effects and they, and their sort of spectrum of activity was, was fairly limited. So they, they, uh, you know, you, you ended up treating people with uh, either Underdosing them or if you gave them full dose they had a lot of side effects and so it was really hard to unless you were pretty sick and so the SSRIs allowed this sort of uh, to that allowed a much broader population of people who were uh, had mood anxiety uh, symptoms obsessive-compulsive disorder was another one where we really had no treatments and the SSRIs at least were partially successful in treating, um, uh, obsessions and compulsions, which is, you know, a pretty common disorder in the, in the world. Um, so that was a really big deal back then and, um, changed psychiatry, uh, substantially. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe, maybe as big a deal as the, um, Antipsychotics in the 1950s uh, being developed, which you know de- deinstitutionalized a lot of a lot of uh, people with psychotic disorders. Um, so, but that was, you know, we're talking the 1980s, right? And um, with minor variations on a theme, there really haven't been. Um, new mechanisms of action for the most part, um, uh, that, um, so these are all drugs that are, you know, what, you know, what are called monoamine based drugs and and increasing serotonin or some of these other monoamines and, and, um, and so nothing technical. So, so this is an area ripe for, you know, sort of, uh, uh, new technologies because, you know, that's what, you know, like you know, going on 50 years without uh, a, me- a new mechanism of action for um, antidepressants um, being uh, uh, developed or, and some of these allied neuropsychiatric disorders. So, um, so you know, that, those, the, th- those drugs are, are effective, but they're, as you know, not effective for um, a big chunk of the population. And, you know, the psychiatrists then end up with people on 10 different drugs or five different drugs, um, switching from one drug to the other, adding one to the other. Um, And and often people feel stuck on these drugs where they're better, maybe in some cases to a certain degree, but they feel like they're not really completely well, uh, but they're also afraid to stop taking them. Um, And, you know, the side effects are are things that are common, like uh, sexual dysfunction, and some people get weight loss or get... Restlessness or what's called akathisia from them. So, so there's a host of issues with these drugs. Uh, in addition to their taking a long time to work, um, you know, they don't work immediately. Um, so, so there there really is a um, a sense that um, and, and that they're they're also sort of band aids. You know, they they and and people often feel they don't feel depressed, but they don't necessarily feel fully emotionally there so it's kind of a maybe a slight blunting of affect uh, with some of these drugs so i don't mean uh, you know there, it's, it's easy really to sort of trash these drugs you know the existing drugs um but you know for some people they're tremendously effective um and um but what i noticed as a psychiatrist was that you know back when i practiced medicine which was a while ago but you know i could probably pick up uh, and do that again because given this lack of of advancement in the field uh, without having to learn very much new. Um, but when I, I, you know, I I would be, it would be like great when you'd see those those people who got tremendously better on the existing drugs. You were, you know, it was very exciting. Um, and um, but it was it it, it almost seemed as if it was the exception where you had that very crisp, like that's the right drug for that person. So there's a tremendous need now, um you know, given what we've been talking about and, you know, just just for example, with post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, all these all the people that have had trauma, trauma from wars and covid and uh, early life traumas, whatever it is, um, you know, the, the, uh, there there are behavioral therapies that work to some degree. And then the drugs like the SSRIs are you know, you can get them approved, uh, to some degree, you know, from, from, from doing big trials, but you know, you have to do very large trials just to see a difference from placebo. So, so, so the, 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 effect, and, and, and now what we're seeing, you know, as an example, um, is that, um, the nonprofit group maps, um, that Rick Doblin runs, you know, has been doing work with, um, uh, mdma which is a, a very old drug um it was uh, uh, back to i think it's probably the uh the drug the, the the drug was actually first made in like 19 like 15 or something and so long um, ago. <laughs> uh, re- really long time ago and then uh you know uh there's you know all these sort of stories and these things you know where it was then then of course the cia always gets involved when there's any cool psychotropic thing. So, you know, uh, so they were trying to test it in the, I don't know, 1940s or something as like a truth mm-hmm. serum. Uh, and, uh, but it, you know, it took then, uh, the great psychedelic chemist, Alexander Shulgin, you know, then pick this back up in the 1950s, I believe it was, or something like that. And, um, and began to uh, explore the, the the potential of MDMA, but that drug MDMA, uh, you know, in the hands of these MAP trials has you know demonstrated in post traumatic stress disorder remarkable effectiveness, and these are also fast drugs that work fast. So, and the lesson there is first of all that you can get something to work quickly, that it's a drug used with psychotherapy, so it's not. The drug itself alone but it's it's uh um uh it's sort of and mdma is not a classic psychedelic but it's sort of psychedelic like but it's you know psychedelic assi- ass, you know assisted psychotherapy you know mm-hmm. that, that um, and 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 it's it's and the, what we think is happening with these drugs is, in, in general, is they open neuroplasticity, which is kind of a big term for pretty much your brain changing. You know, the sort of the networks of your brain. Uh, you know, your, our brains are always changing all the time. So neuroplasticity is sort of you know the rule, but but these drugs enhance that capacity for that for that sort of fluidity and change to occur. So. Um, so, so now you you see in with psychotherapy and MDMA, people with PTSD where a big percentage of them don't meet the diagnosis anymore after mm-hmm. treatment. Which is very different than the little improvements we would get with things like SSRIs and and behavioral therapy works too. But it's really hard. Um, I don't know, you know, if you've ever tried psychotherapy, but you know, it's very hard. You know, people. Are very, uh, you know, they they tend to be in a groove of how they think and and feel, and it's hard, very hard to get them out of those deep grooves. And so, we so so these drugs, you know, sort of allow for um, mobile. In this case, with MDMA as an example, mobilization of emotion, mobilization of of connection to other people, which you know, um, as we were talking about with the pandemic, has been you know rather. Um, Uh, diminished and so these drugs sort of allow people almost immediate access to connectedness and uh their emotional world um that then you know is sort of a cat it's like a catalyst in in a chemistry experiment
0: it's um i'm i'm wondering i mean when i try to remember my experience with psychedelic drugs it's mostly the experience from um articles in the newspaper where um, i read that uh this and that music star tried right? psychedelic drugs and uh, sometimes had not so so great experiences. Um, is that really such a potent uh, um, uh, a drug that you can change people immediately, as you say? um,
1: Well, look. I think that, and this goes back to your question about about my friend Christian Angermeyer and his hundred percent. Everybody's mentally ill, um, uh, which does sound like Christian, but he also does have a good sense of humor. Uh, (laughs) uh, um, uh, I think uh, that you know that we 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 don't want to over. Uh, sell the, these things. Um, we don't want, you know, the problem with a lot of things is they get hyped to the, to, to, to the moon and, and that is detrimental. So, you know, psychedelic drugs, you know, historically and back to the, uh, you know, the, the days of the hippies and the, the, you know, of, uh, of, uh, Keezy and, uh, you know, Ram Das and, uh, and and all of these things, you know. Yeah, I think
0: the, I remember. I think Jim Morrison wrote some songs uh, while he was using psychedelic drugs, and I think also Jimi Hendrix uh, uh, used oh, that. The, the,
1: the, the Doors, uh, it, it, the name, The Doors is is from uh, Aldous Huxley's book, The Doors of mm. Perception, about uh, you know him tripping on mescaline. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's
0: interesting. That's
1: interesting. So, oh, so I think that the, the we don't want to we. We don't want to. What we want to, I think, portray these drugs as is as uh, as as um, uh, um, sort of uh, you know, it's like uh, you're a scientist and now you have a microscope. Now you know if you if I give you a microscope, you know, depending on your 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 your, your uh, talent in science, you you may or may not you know uh, uh, make great discoveries, right? Mm-hmm. Um and depending on who's helping you, to, teaching you about you know cells and and microscopes, you know, et cetera. So so the microscope obviously has had had you know uh, you know it was sort of like the telescope for astronomy, you know, and um, and people have sort of uh, suggested that you know psychedelics are sort of the equivalent of the microscope or the telescope uh, uh, for psychiatry.
0: That's that's a. Uh a great metaphor when when did you get the inspiration in your life that um i mean on one hand you said something needed to change and on the other hand you started doing research with psychedelic drugs what what inspired you what lit the spark in you to go down that route
1: yeah well it it, it's a complicated sort of you know as, as you might imagine you know uh meandering tale but uh it it uh and, and and Christian Angermeyer gets a little bit of credit there uh, for being uh, a, a great, uh, you know, kind of enthusiast for this whole area. But I, I, I had been, I mean, you know, just uh, for full disclosure, you know, back in my wayward youth, I had, uh, you know, been a, a student at Duke University and I had uh, experienced uh, uh, drinking uh, 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 mushroom tea with psilocybin. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember it like a, to this day, like a flash, you know, the sort of flash memories that, that, you know, were of something very significant that you, that, that uh, you don't ever forget. And, um, and it, 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 uh, it really sort of opened me to sort of thinking about the mind and thinking about psychology and thinking about human development and kind of, um, more sort of mystical and spiritual sort of topics and and this sort of thing, and and I think th- then because of that I, I became a student of this this uh, great mystic philosopher G.I. Kerchief, um, and uh, and then uh, uh, and and then and then that. But I, I think in the end all of that led me to uh, have people who. Uh, I interacted with and said you'd be a good psychiatrist and and I I was like I would and you know I, I and uh, you know I was in medical school at the time and wasn't really necessarily obvious to me that, that that was the most interesting thing to do I mean psychiatry was sort of is still sort of a field that you know where we don't really understand all that much about the organ of interest you know the brain mm-hmm. and um, so I uh, but but I so I think I saw that how these drugs. Could have such a powerful effect on um, this, on the sort of direction of one's thought and the direction of one's life, and kind of being able to sort of, you know, I remember being able to watch myself from above, you know, watch watching my behavior as if I as if I was it was a movie camera, and I was being and I was watching myself on TV.
0: Yeah, this uh, is what this is. This is one of the exercises uh, that people get when they do coaching education. So when they get a uh, training in coaching, that, uh, you should sure that get outside of yourself and uh, observe your own behavior and these uh, tracks, it's possible.
1: Yeah. And, and so, so, so I think there's a lot of self-observation that is possible and that's why it's very important. Um, and, you know, you, you know, you, you've heard this term, you know, you want to take psychedelic drugs, but you want to have to be, you want to have a good trip. You know, I want to have a bad trip. Right. And although in some ways I think those, its a very binary way of thinking about it because some of the things that happen in these sort of psychedelic trips can be difficult, uh, or painful in some ways, but it, it, it but it, it, can then be in the service of, of looking at and exploring things. Um, and, um, So in any event, I mean, uh, that that I think is 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 very important. But I think what happened to me was that I I, because of all this, um, I I remember that I would sit. I went to medical school in Miami Mm -hmm. and I would sit in the jacuzzi in Coconut Grove. And and, uh, there was this woman I was dating her daughter and she but she was this sort of famous professor of psychiatry at Harvard. And she had retired down to Miami and we would sit in the jacuzzi. Uh, not with the daughter, strangely, with the mother, and and the mother would give me articles to read in psychiatry, and then we would discuss them. And then she said, "You'd be a good psychiatrist," and she sent me to Boston, which, at, I guess, probably now or at the time anyway, was sort of like the place to go to train. You know, had the had the the most intellectual you know kind of atmosphere for psychiatry. Um, so 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 I think that that was sort of like in the so then you know I went on to do psychiatry and. I ran a department and did research and all these things, but it was in the back of my mind that, uh, you know, this experience. And then I, I got interested in, um, I was, you know, I, I, I was interested in what's kind of referred to as the sort of glutamatergic theory of, of mood disorders, which glut- glutamate is this uh, um, um, that sort of the main uh, excitatory neurotransmitter in the brain. And, um, and I got very interested in that this was an alternative way to look at, um, depression. And in fact, psychedelic drugs influence this glutamatergic balance we now suspect. And, um, but at the time it was just more my interested in this. And I, and I, I, and I was very interested in manic depression. I, I was always fascinated by the fact that people could be, you know, go from this tremendous, Euphoria and almost superhuman capabilities, and then dive into into the most you know bleak suicidal depressions. Um, you know, within short time, and then back. Did you did
0: did you? I mean, uh, you said that uh, it, it, it's it's very interesting to you this area. This um this is it bipolar disorder. Some 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 where you have euphoria and then just fall down uh, some sort of rabbit hole and uh, end up in a very dark place. But what's the reason why that happens in people? What's your, what's your opinion
1: on that? Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Coaching Conversation 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area. We work with companies throughout the world teaching leaders how to coach their employees. This podcast is dedicated to teaching specific strategies, frameworks, coaching models, and now artificial intelligent strategies to help leaders drive greater teamwork, collaboration, cooperation, greater attitudes, better motivation, coaching career development, just to name a few. I hope you'll check out our podcast. Well, you know, why people have these cyclic you know, mood disorders, as they're called, um, is, you know, we don't, that's part of the problem with a lot of these things is we, 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 we really don't know. Um, we, we know that there are certain things that are extremely helpful, uh, to them. For example, lithium, mm-hmm. uh, which again, you know, in psychiatry, sadly was, you know, just dis- discovered complete, completely serendipitously and sort of like the logic of it makes no sense. But it doesn't matter somebody you know cave and these guys figured it out you know but it was really because it sedated rodents you know when they were using it as a solvent so uh but but uh, but we don't really know uh the, the the cause of it but uh it's clear that people can go from you know when they're hypomanic is when you know say writers and artists that have a predilection often to these things it's you know it's when they're 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 most productive you know they it's when you know Tchaikovsky's writing all this great music and etc you know the, the people have uh, the most remarkable capabilities and so if you think about it it's a little bit like uh, there, there's an analogy there to psychedelic drugs in a way you know that the people can be in a state where they they're they're able. To, that where their mental flexibility, their neuroplasticity is enhanced, and they're able to learn things and to understand things and to create things um, at an astounding pace. And the problem is, then they go from that what's that that state, which is called hypomania, to full mania. And in full mania, then it becomes a quite uh, dangerous and dysfunctional state where people, you know, are delusional sometimes and a um, uh, danger to themselves and destroy things and it's you know quite uh, uh, and become psychotic and end up in the hospital and it's very dangerous um, and then equally so then they crash into these depressions Um, but we don't the, the we really don't know the answer as to why those things occur so but you know back to your question I mean I I, I so this I, fl- I so I started to flow into just learning about the glutamate the glutamate system and people were You know, was uh, people at the NIH were also very kind and sort of open and like you know it was sort of this wonderful world where people were like, "Come into my lab," let let, you know. Of course, you know, the lab chief picks up the phone and himself and discusses things with you. You know, at the spur of the moment. Uh, So I really, I really liked that, and and I I, I liked the intellectual. You know, I was I was a little uh, after a while a little bored with the limitations of just practicing psychiatry. It seemed kind of Mm -hmm. like useful and helpful to me, but sort of not enough. So, so I, 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 I ended up writing a paper on, on a new drug for manic depression, uh, called the Motrogene or Lamictal, Um, and, um, and, uh, and then, uh, and then some point, um, my, my, my wife got recruited to the, to the NIH, to the labs at NIH. So I was kind of coming along. At, I had to get a job. Or they wouldn't accept her because they you know they, so i had i had like cold 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 call everybody at, all the lab chiefs at the nih till i got a job on within 10 days so i got a job and uh and i went there and then i had this tremendous time learning because you know money was no object as long as you had good ideas it was Same. fun and it was just fun and and i learned a tremendous amount so uh you know, but then i ended up going off to industry to to jane j and uh where where after why I,
0: I, why yeah. let me just interrupt a little bit uh, i would like to understand it better why did you decide to go to the industry um you were in, the, in a perfect research situation yeah, you know what? It,
1: it, it it was partly because it was it was fair uh it, the n i h was this tremendously rich research environment but for doing clinical research, it was quite limited um, mm-hmm. you you know you it was just very uh, it was very slow and difficult to recruit subjects and um it was uh you know just you know some of the bureaucracies of the government and and it 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 was I, I felt sort of impatient uh, there and with, with the pace of things and, um, and felt also like the NIH didn't make drugs. They didn't design molecules, you know? So, so you were then dependent on like the pharma companies to partner with you to study something. And so, uh, which we did quite a bit of, but it felt as if like, well, I really want to be involved at the level where we're designing new molecules and making new things, and where we have resources to do it quickly, and that was definitely not the NIH. Despite how much I learned there and and how much I liked it, um, it, it was it was a, a little bureaucratic and slow. So um, so and and also I got into a little bit of of a difficulty where I I made the mistake of being I think too honest, and and some reporter called me from the New York Times and asked me about this uh, study I had, uh, I had uh, uh, presented at a meeting and it was a very boring study. It was completely negative study. So I I really wasn't really thinking too much about it. But what it ended up in the newspapers because the I didn't know this, but the drug company, which at that point was Park Davis, was being indicted by the feds uh, for, um, illegal marketing of the drug that they asked me about. And so I somehow inadvertently ended up in the middle of this, which was not, nobody was very uh, happy about at the NIH. Uh, and, uh, so, but because of that, somebody saw this in the newspapers and said, well, would you like a job at Johnson and Johnson? And so, uh,
0: so basically it was good marketing
1: for you <laughs> to get. The wrong thing, But somehow it like ended up, uh, you know, good, good for me. Uh, and um, so, so I, 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 thought about it and I was like, huh, Johnson and Johnson, that's kind of, and I went off and often interviewed there and, and I, I said, you know, realized I could learn a tremendous amount about drug development from these people, because that's you know, that thing. And, and it was also very, John Jane Jay was a great place to start. It was like very kind of, I don't know, almost like the 1950s or something. It was just very, uh, old fashioned and people, they, they really took care of their employees. And it just felt, it would seem kind of like if you had to go somewhere in industry, it was a good place to start. So I spent a few years there and, um, um but but uh in which how...
0: in which in which area did you work back then at j&j what was it also uh, uh...
1: yeah well i worked for in the psychiatry and the neurology franchises mm-hmm. as they called them so i was we were developing i you know my first project was a a not was a d- developing a uh a, a novel antidepressant which you know and this is another reason that also you know for later that One of the lessons I think for me about moving from big pharma to biotech was, and this is an example where we did a big study with this drug and it worked, but it was not, it didn't work as well as, as Paxil or paroxetine, which is an SSRI. And so they, so Johnson and Johnson, there were some side effects, but so johnson just johnson decided to kill the whole program but but i had patented but from the data i had patented a new use for this drug uh for uh, sleep wake uh, disorders and uh, and and um and it cuz it had this like uh awakening stimulating property um and so um so they johnson and johnson just gave it back to uh uh, SK Corporation of Korea where they had li- they had licensed it from um, but they took SK corporation uh, they took that patent that I had filed um, which they then owned and they made that into uh, a drug for sleep wake disorders which is now on the market uh, uh, and sold by jazz pharmaceuticals and is you know I, I you know it's like a billion dollar uh, drug. Most likely, at some at some point. So, so it so it struck me that that was another example where I, I, another learning uh, lesson for me, which was that you know that this sort of like the NIH, this was a you know J and J, you know was a, a, a you know a, a large bureaucracy, and. Um, Uh, And uh, so, the larger
0: uh, the comp, the larger the organizations, the more bureaucracy you get on the table,
1: I guess. Yeah, and 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 sort of a rigidity in decision making and a lack of sort of creativity. And I was just like, "This is terrible." uh, As much as I also like J and J, and and I think, by the way, the same. There's another, you know, kind of a follow-up to that, which was that you know later. Well, my, a lot of the people I worked with at NIH, uh, like Husseini Manji and and such, they all like left NIH and they all came to J&J, but they came as I left. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they developed esketamine or spravato, as it's called, which is the first of these, you know, new rapid acting antidepressants, that, you know, the, as I kind of said, this glutamatergic antidepressants. This was the first one, first drug approved. and um, so that is kind of, in, it was sort of interesting because later when I uh, left uh, uh, Pfizer, I, I, I decided to, that I wanted to develop essentially the mirror image of what J&J was doing, or you know, they were developing what's called S-ketamine, and I decided that they, they made the wrong call, and, and, and R-ketamine was actually the better drug for psychiatry, which J&J was not too happy about.
0: What's the difference between these these two?
1: Well, they're they're stereo isomers, so uh, you know, so they're you know the the equivalent of you know the, the of your left hand and your right hand. You know, they're they're the same, but they're different, right? You know, you, the... you, you you can't put your 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 right glove on your left hand, but <laughs> your hands are the same.
0: So they go in the dark side, the Jedi, and the uh, what's the other side in the in the Star Wars?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah So some, something like that. So uh, the, yeah, the. Uh, um, the light or the, you know, uh, uh, so, so the, um, the, yeah, so, 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 uh, so I think that's another example where, you know, they, they decided we were developing S-ketamine and that's the answer. And, and, and they surprisingly left on the table, what we think is the better mm-hmm. compound to develop for psychiatry. s is better for anesthesia, I think. Uh, uh, where it's used and around the world, uh, but our ketamine looks like it's the better drug for psychiatry because that different that stereochemistry creates different physical chemical properties. You know, because drugs are binding in receptors that have three dimensional, uh, you know, uh, uh, configurations. So, um, so, so, so that's another example where you know the the, the, the there's a problem of in terms of innovation. Um, at these big organizations, and so, so I, I left there and went to Pfizer, and you know. But along the way, then you learn how to run big projects, and you learn how to, you know, you learn a tremendous amount from the. These organizations are very, you know, resource rich, um, and so, um, so I, I I left Jane J. My wife got a job at a professorship at Columbia, so I left there. Left uh, Jane J moved to Pfizer, but, uh, eventually it was the same sort of story where, you know, Pfizer also, you know, was very bureaucratic and very political and, uh, um, and, um, uh, and, uh, you know, was spending a tremendous amount of money, um, and, uh, getting, I don't, I didn't think a whole lot out of their research efforts, at least in psychiatry. Um, and, um, and they figured that out finally and decided to leave. But,
0: uh, one more question for my aunt. Uh, you mentioned yeah, yeah. Pfizer. In these days, Pfizer did uh, still... Uh, allocate large budgets to early stage research. I I mean, when now look on the pharma industry, it looks to me that uh, all these big corporations focus more on marketing drugs and uh, getting the regulatory approval processes done and do the large uh, scale phase three trials, but not the earlier stages. But in these days, uh, Pfizer was also, and J&J were also involved in early stage research.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think they're always doing early stage research at all these big companies. But they, 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 they oftentimes I think don't end up being uh, the the best at at doing that early stage research. And I think what's
0: what, what's what's your opinion? Why why is that? Why is early stage research better in small companies than big corporations? I,
1: um, I think it's the. I mean, I think if you, you study the culture of a biotech and then study the culture of a big uh, pharmaceutical company, um, there's a um, a passion and a focus and an energy and a um, scrappiness and a uh, uh, being able to make decisions. You know, at, at Pfizer, all decisions were political and took forever, you know, and uh, a biotech, the decision is made because somebody calls me, you know, mm-hmm. and that's it, you know. So the the the, the you know, uh, and 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 of course, most biotechs will fail, uh, but there'll be enough of them to succeed. And when they do, you know, they they tend to often be. Uh, you know, um, quite so. So it's not entirely the case. I mean, there have been plenty of drugs, of course, being d- developed by big companies, but it's often this cultural issue. So if you look at, like, when the statins first got developed, you know, Merck um, uh, 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 developed the first uh, statin, and but at the time, uh, you know, uh, uh, Roy Vagelos could come from from St. Louis, and it, you know, Merck was uh, was you know, not doing all that well. And, you know, he kind of pulled up some dejected chemists from the basement and started drawing things on the blackboards and, and had a a vision, you know, and a passion for like, this is how we're going to create the next drug for cardiovascular disorders. And, and the science had was ripe for that. And he, you know, so he brought that excitement and vision and, 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 you know, to, to merck um, and um and that but of course in the end pfizer you know then marketed lipitor which became even a bigger drug um so um the 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 first horse uh, doesn't always uh, win you know that starts the first horse out of the gate doesn't win the race necessarily okay. but uh uh but uh but 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 i think again that sort of even that in that case where merck was a big company it was that Vagilos coming and creating that Excitement and energy, and you know, kind of new blood, new, new vision, and blood, and sort of leadership. You know, the kind of and, and that that's it's tend- and you know, big companies it just tends to become sort of mechanical and somewhat bureaucratic, and you're always sort of fighting up against the commercial people. And the you know, uh, and the, the, you know, they have strategies that they develop that you know only allows you to do this and this. Even though you kind of aware, like it'd be better if you didn't do that, but well, but that doesn't, you know, it. it, it we don't, we're not interested in anything unless it has nine zeros after it, you know, the sort of thing. Where smaller, smaller companies don't think that way. So yeah. I, I think that sort of combination of things.
0: I think there is. Um, it's like. Um... It's like at the army, you need sometimes you need troops, and sometimes uh, for some tasks, special forces are just better at smaller groups and yeah. um, they're much quicker. And it's, I think it's the same with small biotechs and large pharma. So, some tasks, especially the early stage development, is better allocated in small biotechs because they faster decision making processes, more passion uh, getting fixed on um, moving forward. And when I think, for example, at uh, mRNA vaccines, I mean, it's one of the recent examples. Um, BioNTech and Pfizer, I mean, once uh, drugs really need to be spun out uh, or pushed at scale to patients, I think the large pharma troops are the best solution for that. I mean, just imagine a small biotech building then sales forces uh, would next to be impossible. So I think there is a good, and, good and bad sides in both worlds.
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: If you're an engineer or a scientist, you love Formula One, you love cycling, you love learning about how new technologies are changing the world around us, then I thought you may want to listen in to my new podcast, the Neil Ashton Podcast. We talk to leading engineers and scientists from around the world, hear about their life stories, hear about new technologies, and hopefully educate you and give you a better sense of how key things like machine learning, artificial intelligence, supercomputing are changing the world around us. If that sounds like it's something you might like, you should come and have a listen.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, well, big farm was it was it, in some ways it was great for me because I, you know, first of all, I I steal all their people. And uh and also it just really uh you know gave me a background uh, you know, in in so many things. It was like a, you know, uh like a, a you know a 10-year training program or something
0: i mean you had you had everything you had a university background psychiatry then you went to nh for for research doing research and then uh, the big pharma background uh and then i mean from what you were saying the logical decision then was to found your own company when did that happen when did you make the decision the first time that you say okay let's uh let's uh start something on my own well,
1: yeah i mean i i was the clinical disease uh area expert in at Pfizer for, you know, neuroscience and, you know, in the psychiatry area. And so I, you know, at, and I could see things kind of going downhill in terms of Pfizer's interest in psychiatry. And, uh, they, they, they weren't, they, they really didn't, you know, put much effort into that. And, um, and, and I, and I realized that they were going to leave neuroscience. So I had to figure out, well, what, what do you want to do next? You know, and, um, and I tend to be a little restless. I don't want to do the same thing, and I, I don't want to do something bureaucratic and repetitive. So, um, and um, and then I went to a meeting of, of the American College of Neuropsychopharmacology, the the ACNP, which is this very elite organization that has a meeting every year. And I um and I heard a, a talk uh, talks on. The whole, You know, this whole glutamatergic ketamine space, which I had sort of been out of, you know, for many years. And I was trying to make sense of the whole thing. And there was a lot of contradictory data and it was unclear what was going on. And then this guy um, named Kenji Hashimoto from Chiba University, Mm -hmm. Japan, gave a talk on our ketamine. And and as I listened to this talk, I was like. It sort of came to my mind that this may be, he may be right. And, and, it, and, and nobody seems to be quite registering that. And, and I think that's, that's, that, that happens quite a bit too. You know, there's sort of, every, everybody's kind of going down, you know, the orthodox, some orthodox route, you know, and, and, then and, and, and he kind of came with this idea that, and, 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 the, and also there wasn't a strong understanding of like, well, Why you know, our ketamine is weaker, is is a uh, has weaker binding to its receptor, which is the NMDA receptor. So why would you pick the weaker isomer if you you know if you have a choice? You know why would that be better? That doesn't make any sense. But I sort of realized like we don't really the NMDA receptor is very complex and it has variations across the brain and subunit composition. So there was a lot we didn't know. And so it was sort of an empiric. My my empirical sense was like, this may be right. And so I met with them, and um, and I uh, brought my uh, my 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 old boss from Pfizer into the picture, Jay Kranzler, who had a lot of biotech experience. And we sort of negotiated with uh, the university to license our ketamine, and that we decided we would we would develop that as a drug. And, you know, we had a little trouble because of the fact that uh, people were like incredulous because they were like, well, you can't be right because J&J, if you were right, J&J would have been all over this, you know, because they're like this giant company with all of these, you know, intelligence people and thousands of scientists. Like, how how could it be that they're like you just come along you just as a person and and do this? and so people were not they didn't really and jane j was also very you know very defensive about this because of course if i was right they would they looked not too great yeah. uh um so uh so there was a lot of internal you know kind of anger at from the jane j people at our my old nih colleagues who and 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 what happened was that there was a uh my old colleagues at NIH, uh, Carlos Arati and company, um, and Todd Gould, uh, they published a paper in Nature uh, that essentially said that uh, the what's really going on is that there's a metabolite of R ketamine, of the R isomer called 2R6R hydroxynorketamine. Mm-hmm. And it's that metabolite that actually is the um, the anti, what de- what causes this antidepressant effect, and so it wasn't clear that they were right, but they replicated this archetamine data. But the but the NIH then said, well, we'll license to a company this metabolite because they had patented it, and so all the companies went scurrying off to try to patent uh, to sort of to try to license this uh, patented uh, metabolite. And this left our ketamine and the Japanese like sitting there, and nobody was interested. So this, so I was able to write them a check, and um, you know, for for a very small amount of money, license in the uh, the uh, the compound and start to develop the program, um, and and so. Um, So so I uh, so this then so this
0: this did they get it right? This was the uh, foundation basically of perception or neuroscience in your first company,
1: right? And this was you know in perception, you know Jim Morrison had the doors, as from the doors of perception. I took the the doors of perception, perception, (laughs) and uh, and so uh, we started. Yeah, so I started perception, and um, and perception neuroscience. uh, You know we start and we started to to get the trials. Planned and preclinical work going. Um, and then uh, as we were doing that, uh, you know, we needed to raise money. Uh, and a couple of different folks came along, including Christian Engermeyer, uh, and, who was now enamored with psilocybin and psychedelics and wanted to build like the bridge bio or Roy Vant kind of model mm-hmm. and things. And 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 he was very him and George Goldsmith who runs Compass. They were very intent on doing a deal to uh, uh, to buy a, a controlling share in in Perception. Uh, and so uh, so I negotiated a deal with them, uh, and, uh, and you know so that the you know Perception got funded and you know move forward. So that's how that and, and now it's in phase two. Uh, development, um, uh, you know, uh, which is, you know, uh, happening in the U S and, and Europe. I mean, it's,
0: know. it's, it's, it's a big success. I mean, given that, uh, I would say 99 out of 100 early stage biotech fail and don't move forward. So basically your company moved up to clinical phase two already with, with the compounds. It's really a congratulations. Uh, it's a great success.
1: Right. Uh, thanks. No, I, and now, now, now the, uh, we have to, you know, I think, I think it's, uh, you know, there's a very high probability of success for that compound. Um, uh, you know, given the data, and uh, I, you know, I think it would be very surprising if it doesn't work.
0: Um, which, which, which indication does Atai focus with your uh, compounds? Now,
1: it, uh, it's being developed uh, for treatment-resistant depression, uh, mm. so, and I think it could, you know, would be effective for pretty much any kind of depression or or an anxiety disorder uh, and 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 substance abuse disorders too. Mm. So, so it has a pretty broad spectrum of activity, and there's very strong, strong intellectual property. So, it's 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 a pretty good uh, program. Um, and um, and and now, uh, ironically, they brought people from Johnson and Johnson in <laughs> to run it. So the the circle is closed now. So it's basically yeah. Johnson and Johnson back. Johnson, <laughs> Johnson, Johnson who were like screaming at them, like, "Why aren't you?" Why aren't you talking to Sporn about licensing our ketamine And they were like, "Shut up! Don't don't ever."
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> a that's a funny part of the story. Let me ask you one question. I'm I'm curious. I mean, usually here in Austria and Europe, uh, the dream of uh, scientists who got the entrepreneurial spark, found a company, sell a company, um, and the dream usually ends with uh, they live happily ever after on the islands with ten Teslas and uh, nice houses and just retire and enjoy life. Uh, you decided to found another company. Why? Why? Why did you uh, say there is something that needs to be done?
1: Christians, right? Mental health problems are one hundred percent. You see. <laughs> okay. uh, I, I, um, I mean, I, I don't see what I do generally as work. So I like, I like it's Just it's extremely interesting and fun. So like, I, I, I think you know, I don't know what I would. You know, do on the island after I drove the Tesla <laughs> around three times. You know, uh, so uh, uh, and so, uh, I think that so what you know, I mean, honestly, what happened was I I I I stayed on at Perception as the chief scientific officer, but it just felt didn't feel like the right fit for me. I I I, I you know, unless they were going to really take Perception and make it into a itself into a larger enterprise, but, you know, it was really a single product company. Um, And so my the the best use of my ability wasn't really running, you know, those early stage, you know, projects, um, you know, for that one molecule um, at that point. So I think I, 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 so I, I didn't stay that long there after that. And then I, I had, through you know, and sort of again back to my Johnson and Johnson roots. One of my close friends w- was the head of sort of licensing stuff for Johnson and Johnson for neuroscience, and uh, he brought me to his lake house north of New York with an in- with this young uh, uh, medicinal chemist who and 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 he brought me because the chemist was interested in. Um, a molecule called tioneptine, which is an antidepressant in Europe, it doesn't exist in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it was a Servier molecule, and and he was making new uh, salts or new new uh, or uh, some new uh, forms of tioneptine. And, um, and so, and, 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 they, and this guy knew that at J and J I had been instrumental in getting J and J to make new salts of tie and, and try had tried to get them to develop it, um, to no avail. They, 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 they started to, co- they were going to start a company to do it. And then they lost interest somehow along the way, another big company story. And, um, so they brought me to meet him and then we stayed in touch and then, when I realized that I was going to leave Perception, I called him up and said, "We're starting a company," and um, and uh, and he had already also started a company that he also now has sold to a tie to Christians folks and uh, called Cures or the K. And uh, so I said, "We're going to start a company and we're going to do what I think is not, was not being done in the psychedelic space, which was to develop." To develop novel drugs with IP on the chemical matter um, that were going to really innovate the space, as opposed to psilocybin is a great drug. So why don't we develop it, even though it's a generic drug? Or MDMA is it? great drug but it's a generic drug there's not much innovation there there's just you know pushing things through the system and then of course you know pharma is not interested in those things because they can't protect them for their investment um so um so i had this vision that we would take what we both what we knew scientifically also i realized that these chemists were really into psychedelics and so they knew every compound that had been made and tried by people anecdotally. So, like the great chemist Sasha Shulgin, who you know used to work with the DEA, and then they 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 uh, and then he published uh, his uh, books, his sort of uh, kind of recipe books on how to make psychedelics, and they uh, you know parted ways with him. Uh, but uh, he he had made you know changed Adam Adam. You know uh, uh, uh by Adam these uh, psychedelic drugs and then tried almost tried hundreds of them himself. Um, and so uh, he was sort of the you know the the, the the great sort of father of the psychedelic you know you know chemistry area. and so they knew every single molecule that shot and what he had said about them and and also you know there's on the web there's so many people with trip reports reporting on their, you know, all these psychonauts reporting on their experience with psychedelic drugs. So I realized these guys knew everything about this. And, mm-hmm. and, and they were also really good academic, you know, experienced chemists. And, and, and Andrew Krugel, my partner, was, you know, very uh, entrepreneurial. So uh, So I said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to take molecules of different kinds and we're going to then look at them. And then we're going to say, what could be better? And so as an example, even though our ketamine is this drug and I think is, you know, making great progress, we were like, well, it's good, but if it was a pill, it would be even better. So can we design a molecule that will have, you know, will, where the properties of, of it will be, uh, you know, uh, uh, commensurate with our ketamine, but it's a new molecule and it's different because it's a pill. Uh, because ket- You can't uh, really use very readily as a pill because your liver chops it up uh, fast in a a variable way. So it's the first pass metabolism problem. So. uh, So that's an example where we realize, like, you know, we we can likely do that fairly easily. Um, and, um, and 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 and
0: given you have the right team, so I think uh, it's not it's wow. not ch- chemistry is not that easy.
1: No, <laughs> oh, no, right. But it, but but uh, for the right chemists with the right ideas, it wasn't mm. that hard. And and it was like it and 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 what was interesting was that in the space, all the people interested in ketamine were mostly clinicians and not chemists. So they were looking at ketamine, R-ketamine metabolites, but. They weren't thinking about making new molecules. Um, uh, they didn't know how to do that, uh, and 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 uh, and this is, and this really hadn't caught the attention yet of too much of uh, big pharma. And Jane um, J was already pot committed with esketamine, uh, so we realized we could do that. And then we we just went down the line. We were like, okay, well. Uh, you know, for example, DMT, which is you know one of the active components of ayahuasca, you know, which is this you know Peruvian uh, uh, you know concoction that people make that are that's very psychedelic. But people vape DMT, but it's very it only lasts about ten minutes or fifteen minutes. Um, and so we thought, well, DMT is a great drug, but it's so fast, it's so short acting. We weren't sure that that was long enough to really be fully therapeutic. And on the other hand, things like psilocybin or LSD last, you know, four, six, eight hours. And that's really hard on you know our healthcare system, right? Like how do you, you know, have people sitting around for six hours in your clinic, you know? Uh, so um so we decided that what we'd like is a molecule that maybe lasted that was like DMT, but lasted about an hour. And and also DMT has some serotonin releasing properties, which is partly what MDMA does. So hmm. it do this sort of warm, emotional, connected feeling. So we realized that we could have a molecule that was a little bit like psilocybin, but also a little bit like MDMA, and lasted about an hour. So we designed a molecule with those properties, um, and um, and that. Uh, and that's another example where now we we think that that will it's a hypothesis that that will have about the right uh, you know characteristics uh, therapeutically for you know uh, neuropsychiatric kind of conditions um, and and this this has sort of been now an iterative process that there's this tremendous amount of this stuff going on in the company. you know another example is we we thought, well, you know people love microdosing. But the problem with microdosing is, you know, you're taking, say, a tenth or two tenths of a dose of a psych of a full psychedelic dose of, say, LSD. But the problem is, is that, you know, you don't want to send your grandmother home with a big bottle of LSD and tell her to take one because she might. Depending on the grandmother, take more than that, and um, and so you know, and, then, and that so so it's not it it has problems as a take home medicine because of the potential uh, for it to be uh, you know abused or not adhered to uh, dose wise. So, did uh,
0: did so they, they, they understand you right? So the current yeah. uh, treatment regimen is that people go to the clinic and uh, get the dosing then. Um, under observation of a clinician, or of a doctor or a nurse, so it's uh, not for take-home uses. What's currently in development oh, and close uh, to market,
1: right? Like MDMA and psilocybin and LSD and all these things are being generally developed for use in a supervised setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 and, and uh, uh, so uh, we w- what we wanted to do was say, like, well, if you could, if you had a microdose, but you knew that. People couldn't take, couldn't get a whole psychedelic trip out of it. It would be, it might be an ideal drug for mood and anxiety symptoms. And you see, this is all very anecdotal and not uh, demonstrated in controlled fashion, but there are, there are so many thousands of people that are microdosing these drugs to treat mood and anxiety symptoms. Uh, you know, and also they seem to enhance creativity and mental flexibility uh, for people. So, um, so what we wanted to do then was to develop uh, a drug that these drugs hit what's you know called the five HT two A serotonin receptor that hits this receptor, but does so in a way where it ha- it sort of has a ceiling effect. So, so even if you take a lot of it, it's not going to be very psychedelic. know be minimally psychedelic even if someone takes more of it than they're prescribed so we wanted to create them and 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 what it wasn't clear how you would do that exactly but this was again an example where there were case reports of people making new psychedelic drugs where they weren't all that psychedelic and you can test this to some degree in rodents by that the, the, their heads twitch when they're having when they're tripping. They they have this sort of characteristic, very fast twitching of their head and ears. And so, uh, so we could, we, so we could, we, so we would. Saw, see, we saw these reports, and we were able to bring those molecules now into the lab and start to look at them and see what do, do the rodent head twitch experiments confirm what these people are saying. Uh, from their anecdotal human use, that this drug is not, doesn't have a strong psychedelic effect. But, and then the second question becomes, well, maybe that just means it doesn't do a damn thing. Uh, so we wanted to also show that it, even though it's not, doesn't have powerful uh, psychedelic effects, it's still antidepressant. Mm-hmm. So we were able to then take that into like stress models and such in rodents and show that it, it retained the antidepressant effect. But how? How? Um,
0: I, I, one question: I'm curious how how do you model that in rodents uh, antidepressant? How can you how can you how can you measure that are rodents depressive? And
1: there's no perfect way, and the models are are not ideal. And in fact, Gilgamesh is, is working on, in its platform of creating better methodology there. But there's enough there. You know, the sort of the gold standard would be that you take rodents and you stress them for a few weeks mm-hmm. uh, and, and mild, mild stress. You know, the, the bedding's wet or the light cycle is, is, is not right for them, you know, light, light-dark cycle. Um, so you can stress them. And then when you stress them they stop drinking sugar water as much. So that's like a sort of a model of what's called anhedonia in humans or or lack of, you know, sort of impaired uh, pleasure response. You know, uh, uh, so so you can measure this in rodents. And and so what you're able to see is when you stress these animals chronically for a few weeks, they stop drinking uh, sweet stuff that, that they like. They, they reduce the amount of, of, sh- of sugar water they drink and you can show then that with antidepressants it reverses this mm. so so you can you can show that it's it, it, it protects them against this stress induced um, uh, uh, anhedonia um, so um, so we were able to show then with we've we're, we're been able to show them with, that we're able to make molecules that are not that psychedelic but still look like, of course, you still have to prove that in in humans, obviously, but that looks like it preserves the antidepressant response, but without the psychedelic. So if that's the case, if that works, then you have a drug that, you know, you can go to your uh, local pharmacy and, you know, pick up a prescription for and the risks of of that, you know, being used at home are 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 mild, but we'd still probably want to have some sort of psychotherapy with it. Um, but but it make, it really becomes a very different, you know, becomes much more universally available for treating these conditions. This would, um,
0: be, would be a great thing. This would be a great thing to have more of that on the yeah, market.
1: So that's another example of what Gilgamesh is working on. And, uh, and uh, you know, we're talking to some of our pharma peers that are interested in what we're doing in this respect. Um, so who knows, at some point, we might partner with people on it, on some of these things. Um, and, then, and then, you know, the other example from our, you know, core portfolio is that there's a very interesting molecule called ibogaine. And, uh, and ibogaine is, uh, uh, is a compound that comes from a, uh, uh, a, a, a bush in Africa and in places like Gabon that's used for initiation rituals. Uh, and uh, it's a very, very powerful psychedelic drug. Uh, with a, It's very long lasting. And it's also dangerous uh, because it can cause uh, cardiac rhythm abnormalities. It it has a QTC prolongation effect. So there are people that have died from uh, um, from taking ibogaine. Uh, but uh, a uh, some heroin addict in New York um, uh, was given some of this, uh, you know, many uh, decades ago, and he was surprised to find that his uh, craving for heroin completely disappeared. Really? Yeah. And so um, this then, this observation led to a tremendous interest and and the FDA was involved and the NI, NIDA, the NIH was involved and they were going to develop it. Um, but because it, you know, the, you know, as you know, the politics of psychedelic drugs was that the, they're all terrible, you know, uh, this is your mind on drugs, you know, uh, and, um, and so, uh, so, uh, and because also they had this cardiac toxicity risk, uh, this was, they were unable to, uh, to, to develop this, but it was so clearly, uh, there were so many clear anecdotes of, of Ibogaine being, um, extremely powerful in one dose to treat heroin addiction or opiate addiction that clinics sprung up in other countries like in Me- like in mexico uh to treat people you know sort of the, the rich and famous go to you know these ibogaine clinics and mm-hmm. can it and such you know and so uh but nothing then really happened with it because it's now a generic drug and it's not that safe and this sort of thing um, and, um, uh, but actually a tie now is developing Ibogaine and our Ibogaine is, uh, one of their programs. They have many, many programs. And, um, but what, and, 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 but this is another example of what Gilgamesh is doing is we were like, there's no way in hell we're going to develop a generic drug. Um, uh, you know, uh, it's too expensive and, 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 and especially a generic drug that's has safety issues. Um, and so what we did was that uh, that the the the, uh, the the labs at Columbia University, which you know were, you know, kind of uh, uh, partnering with, had spent a decade working on ibogaine uh, chemistry, and they had you know meticulously changed one atom after another and looked at how the pharmacology morphed um, with these changes. And uh, and they were able to find molecules that had very that were similar to ibogaine, but were tweaked or tuned in terms of, uh, in this case, for example, being more uh, cap- kappa opiate, opiate uh, antagonist activity. But but that's not abuse. Kappa doesn't cause abuse. Um, and so they uh, they they uh, th- and they realized these drugs were very powerful, and they were novel molecules. And what we've been uh, finding now, and this was not intelligent design, this was just stupid luck, was that um, some of these molecules that cardiac abnormality, that cardiac risk, was tuned out inadvertently. So they That's were right. safer and they were they looked at least as effective as 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 ibogaine. Um, so, so, so Gilgamesh is now moving forward with developing novel analogs of ibocaine that have this better uh, therapeutic index.
0: Uh, Did they understand you right? So Gil- Gilgamesh mission and vision is to take uh, drugs from the psychedelic space, look at what works already and uh, make the existing uh, approaches in drugs much better. So safer and more uh, effective on the chemist bench. Is that the right uh, perception?
1: Wait, 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 that's, that's, that's how we started. We're, we're not. Some of them are not exact. You know, and for example, ketamine is. A, it it's not cla- classically. It's not a psychedelic drug. It's it's not. They're not five HT two A agonist. Um, so uh, ibogaine is an atypical uh, psychedelic, and we're we're not we're not wed to things being you know s- psychedelic or, or drugs necessarily. But we we realize that this. Particular area, you know, uh, uh, you know, for example, the five HT two A receptor, the NMDA receptor, these were uh, uh, the cap -cap opioid uh, receptors. These were areas that were ripe for innovation. But we're not, uh, we'll, we'll, and we thought that these drug using these targets was safer um, as a starting point because there's already essentially, uh, um, you know, precedent. Uh, for their precedented targets um in humans and so we thought that these drugs will be rapidly effective powerful drugs that will be and if we can make them innovate innovate on them uh, it's a great starting point but in the future you know we'll 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 broaden broaden that out but most of the things we're going to be doing will be around these particular targets, uh, at this point. And, you know, where we go from, you know, that's part of the problem, you know, back to your question about like, why, you know, with big pharma is that, you know, sometimes big pharma did great things in the sense that they were very innovative and they would go after targets that were, uh, completely you know where there was really very little information you know and 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 they weren't they certainly weren't like in the old days trying their own drugs uh you know so you know but back in the old days you know uh, when the benzodiazepines were you know created Sternberg would you know make ben- the first benzos and try it with a soup spoon and uh, tell his wife he won't be home you know <laughs> uh the, so uh, that didn't happen so so there were a lot of these programs in big pharma that just in theory know were interesting but their chances their probabilities of technical success were small and we think that in this case you know starting with precedented targets our probability of success is much you know much much larger so so we think that that's the we think that innovating around these areas is the is the you know kind of the best starting point for the company so
0: this gives you basically then uh, composition of meta patents in in this area i mean if you remodel the molecules
1: right we, we have
0: so it's we, very, very strong patent base.
1: yeah we we're, we're we're basically our philosophy you know it's it's a it's a uh somewhat fraught you know uh kind of crowded ip space but what we've been able to do is to sh- is to show on un- a you know very unexpected results mm-hmm. uh for these molecules that you know no one skilled in the art would be able to predict and that's been you know s- successful for us we have for the you know for example for our first two our lead two lead programs we uh, you know we, we've already uh, you know um, uh, you know been successful in and uh, getting uh, the first two uh, patents uh, uh you know now you know getting near to be issued and you know so so those that, that's worked out uh perfectly well for us for the first two and we expect that'll be the ibu game ones are even easier um, so but yeah, so we're, we're we're that's probably one of the big uh, biggest things with Gilgamesh is we're very good with IP. We're very good with uh, unknowing, understanding a very complex uh, intellectual property space.
0: And compared to Perception, your first company, I mean, you said it's a one product company basically. It's been a one product company purchased by Thai Life Science. Now Gilgamesh uh, has a pipeline. So you're building a pipeline, and it's the vision. I believe is uh, creating a lasting company with Gilgamesh. Is this the right perception?
1: Uh, yeah, we, we we you know we expect to do partnering and licensing deals. Uh, we think that we'll have more substrate than we can actually prosecute ourselves. So we think that there'll be um, and you know there'll be a demand for from companies that need pipeline to to work with us. But yes, we want to build not only this machine. To the future of the space vis-a-vis uh chemistry uh which we're i think we're doing a tremendously good job of but but also then we're we're we're, we're putting a small amount of our effort into a uh platform that is uh, essentially saying like well you know the big the elephant in the room with psychiatry is that you're developing drugs and however good your drugs are the disorders are not um, carved at, at the at biological joints, they're sort of, you know, sort of, you know, you you you're you can meet the definition of depression, you know, umpteen ways, and uh, you know, and and so you're, it's depression, but you, you may have very few symptoms in common with somebody else that has the same uh, uh, disorder uh, uh, syndrome. So. That 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 really creates a lot of challenges uh, for drug development. If you know you you're trying to make chemicals to target a target, but the disorder is not, you know, connected necessarily to that particular any particular biology but as a description so so that, that that that's been one of the big big challenges in psychiatry and so what we're trying to do at Gilgamesh is to create a platform that will begin to allow us to have um biomarkers vis-a-vis for example um electrophysiology so we do a lot with EEG uh, signals um mm. and we have in-house uh uh capabilities in that regard Um, and uh, we do that in people and we do that in rodents and we use neuropixels and rodents so we can you know uh, interrogate the electrophysiology of individual neurons across the neural axis and so we're we're um we're we're trying to create a a better scientific capability to do all of this stuff um, than head twitches and rodents which has you know been around for you know throwing throwing them in a tank of water to see how long they swim you know it sounds very almost medieval uh so we we think that, that that that's sort of the will also be i think if we're successful be part of the special sauce of the company in the future as it has this sort of ability to do you know we we do a lot of machine learning of rodent behavior and a lot of machine learning and and electrophysiology work um you know we'll start to you know look at uh natural voice recordings and such in humans, most likely in the near future in, in patients. Uh, so there'll be able, uh, you know and that'll also be machine learned. So we we'll, 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 we'll start to create a way to, in, you know as a goal, to be able to predict what drug a, a particular individual mm-hmm. should get based on their history, their biology, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and such. And their, you know, their, their, um, and their behavior, um. So
0: let's stay a little bit with the machine learning. Um, do you have an in-house department, or do, uh, do you partner yeah, up with?
1: Yeah, it's it's we're doing both. We have in we have in-house uh, uh, data science that that uh, uh, has a lot of expertise, and we we and we then we partner. Uh, we have uh, uh, we have embedded it at at Harvard at uh, Bob Data's lab. Um, folks, uh, uh, helping us with, um, running experiments as we speak, um, uh, with machine learning and rodent behavior. And, uh, uh, Bob's one of the world experts in this. And then at, at NYU, um, at Andre Fenton's lab at NYU, we also have our own like small lab, uh, kind of in, inside his lab, uh, that's doing a lot of the electrophysiology work. And we have some, another lab in England, uh, that's our uh, the sister lab, the electrophysiology. So, so we have a a few sort of boutique, uh, you know, most of what we do at this point is, you know, working with CROs around the world, you know, for efficiency, but we have a few sort of boutique, uh, operations that are, um, you know, exploring this, uh, you know, kind of this, this, uh, uh, you know, trying to create this sort of, uh, platform capability.
0: You put an amazing experience to expertise together with your team. I mean, you have uh, chemistry, you have the early stage drug discovery, drug development expertise. You have the clinical development expertise, uh, the biology, uh, an understanding of uh, psychology, psychiatry from the practical point of view. So from the patient point of view. And then now you start integrating also machine learning, artificial intelligence, and you Really create a nice engine. Sounds to me like that.
1: Yeah. No. I, I look. I, I think there's been a lot. There's been a lot of people. I mean, I think what I'm particularly good at is just identifying the people and trends to put together that will make things happen. So, for example, on the machine learning and side and electrophysiology side, my my friend and colleague Amit Etkin, uh, you know, started a company. Um, uh, Alto out in, uh, from, and he's a professor at uh, at Stanford and and he created this company uh, that's all built around uh, by bio- electrophysiology and other biomarkers uh, for prediction. So I was very influenced by him and he went off and did his own thing and consults a little bit to us. But but I, but it was like, you know, that's where I want to go and that's that's also where companies you know other companies in the space. In the psychedelic space, really have limited capabilities. That they they may partner with people, they may bring people in, but they're not built at core to be innovators. They're more sort of let's let's buy up a bunch of different companies or let's you know push you know MDMA through this through through to approval. But they're not built around uh, uh, you know the, the the sort of ability. Uh, to 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 do the science, um, um, you know, that and that, that's kind of where we're, I think, you know, a little bit different than most of our competitors, you know. So, um, you know, with with a couple of exceptions, that's that's I think what makes us, uh, you know, a, a different kind of company uh, is that we're sort of, you know, we're 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 focused on moving things fast in the clinic, but we're not. That's not the only. The only thing we're we're doing and it's 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 and it's all pretty much you know under one roof
0: now, innovation is challenging i completely agree to that um let me ask you one question when i look at the the article uh which is titled with the harvard scientists acting as a highest treasure trove launches a new psychedelics firm focused on drug analogs um analogs um, I did work, I worked in antibiotics. so uh, It's about 15, 16 years ago. And uh, back in 2006, uh, the market, the investment market was good for antibiotics, but then it really went southwards and went down. Vaccine was the next space I, was, uh, I did work with. Um, and uh, I was raising funds for companies in 2013, 14, and 15, which was basically next to impossible. Nobody was interested in uh, putting anything on the market against viral diseases. And, uh, this changed with the pandemic, obviously, and, uh, it became a lot easier. Uh, I never worked with, um, companies in your field. So I'm really curious. I read in the article that Gilgamesh Pharmaceutical completed that 27 million series A. It was the article that's, uh, May 6, 2021. Um, how is the investment space? How are invest, are investors aware of this great opportunity or, uh, is it still, early so that there is uh, some work that needs to be done on the investment side.
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back. Moving is right up there with death and divorce in the stress Olympics fear not turn that box of woes into a crate of woes with moving tips in the life beyond boxes podcast with premium q moving dive into the world of hassle-free moves learn tips and tricks to save on cash and your sanity say goodbye to those moving meltdowns and hello to the smooth sailings or should we say smooth movings tune into life beyond boxes with premium q moving on lifebeyondboxes.com or find us on your favorite podcast platform and with us unpack the secrets to a stress-free move Well, there's definitely work to be done. I mean, this was a very super hot space. Um, uh, You know, sort of psychedelics, longevity things. You know, there were all these sort of hot, you know, areas that you know the Christian Engermeier was in every one of uh, and uh, And Bitcoin and Bitcoin. Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and they often together the same people are interested in all all those three things. You know and um, so uh it, it's been it was very hot. and then, of course, you know the, uh, as you you know know better than me, the whole you know biotech sector's been you know pretty much slammed uh, 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 in 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 recent times and um and I think uh, that uh, that's now had a some, somewhat chilling effect on, I think, uh, uh, the whole space. And i think you know we're sort of in a little bit of a lucky position um you because we think that you know we've we we raised you know our series a um we're we're um we're now uh you know uh you know we're we're now sort of doing pretty well uh you know even beyond that so we're 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 right now very well funded you know to sort of uh weather the you know this sort of uh uh you know winter uh uh in space so uh, we think that right now you know we have we're, you know we're, we, we' we're it's pretty clear we'll have enough money to run multiple programs into into human data uh, and, uh, and and you know and build out what we need to build out and so you know um and then data will rule you know so I think if the data looks good, um, then uh you know and hopefully in a, a year or two, uh, you know it's it's all you know kind of somewhat uh trends uh you know the biotech space will all sort of recover somewhat from you know some an extreme so I, I yes yeah, so I think that but uh, I, I think that despite that um there's still a tremendous interest in this space I mean you know uh, I, no matter where i, I I'm always s- still surprised no matter where I go putting aside investors just the population is pretty well versed around this whole psychedelic revolution people are interested people are trying it mm-hmm. um you know especially and probably on the you know coast like in New York and California um so um so i think that that, that will continue and build uh you know the press has been you know uh, you know back in the in the in the old days the press was you know you know drugs will kill you every, you know uh, any uh, uh, you know psychedelics are terrible and now you know they they can't write enough exciting articles about how exciting the space is. so I think that's helping. I think what's you know limited still is you know the you know big pharma um, some of the you know the the the, the, the you know larger institutional uh, you know venture capital kinds of folks are still sort of watching this carefully but you know with a few exceptions like atsuka, you know most of these pharma companies are still sort of, on the sidelines sort of watching what's happening but it's very clear they understand the potential of these things it's just that you know they tend to be they tend to you know
0: what it, I'm, I'm curious what is hold in your opinion what is holding the traditional life science vcs back um i mean when i think about oncology for example oncology is a no-brainer you can put any oncology project on vcs table and as long as they are doing something noble and innovative which is Quite normally in that space, um, they step in. I think it's also pharma. What is the reason that you say that uh, the VCs or the life science VCs are aware of the opportunity, but not really willing currently to step in? I, I,
1: I think you, you may have ideas about it too, but I think that part of it is that they're looking at whether big pharma or pharma in general is you know, sort of buying into this because in some ways they're the customer. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that, uh, big pharma, uh, is still, uh, you know, looking to see, you know, what is the business model here for these things? Um, how well do they actually work in trials? Um, you know, they, they, they're, they're, they're being you know, cautious about, about it. Um, and, um, and, and they want to sort of, you know, just, just as Pfizer was not the first statin, you know, uh, they, 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 you know they're waiting around. And, and some of it's also that some of these early first level compounds, they lack uh, innovation, they lack IP. So, you know, none of these companies is going to buy uh, a drug with no IP. That makes no sense at all. Um, so I think that they're, and, they're, and with, with a company like us, we're just entering the clinic um, in the fourth quarter. So that's, you know, so, uh, so I, I'd expect that, you know, a year from now or so, uh, that, you know, there'll be very interesting conversations going on if we're successful. Um, and so,
0: but when I understand your approach, you're creating drugs with novel IP with a very strong uh, patent protection. And then you bring that to the market. I understand, for example, I mean, I had a conversation last, um, It was in October last year uh, with with a researcher in the longevity space. And there I had really difficulties to say, okay, how does a truck look like? And he said, okay, there is no truck. So it's basically uh, just change your habits, change your lifestyle. And this is really hard to sell to VCs, to put money into a company that at the end of the day, don't create novel IP and they don't create something, a product. Uh, right. As far as I understand your description also with some existing approaches on the market, it's basically, um, going into the generic space, repurposing drugs, but, um, not with very strong IP protection and Gilgamesh changes that. So your approach is clearly to, Uh, go down the track development routes. Well, yeah, and
1: and, and what we expect is that these other, the the fact, because there's been a lot of sort of excitement, Christian Engermeyers and Peter Thiels and these people who have been funding uh, Mike Novogratz, a lot of these people that have been funding the space, um, it's been very valuable because, you know, by the time we and and Jane j with Spravato, that they're building out, the market, they'll build out some of the infrastructure for these things. Um, so, but they're doing it with molecules, including J and J, that have you know limited or you know weak intellectual property, which you know just goes to show you how much you know desperation there is for molecules is that J and J was willing to develop an, a non-patentable molecule. Uh, you know, esketamine obviously has been around for 50 years or something, right? So, um, so, so, so this, 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 uh, you know, is, is, you know, I think was very surprising, uh, but it, it speaks to you know the the level of demand. But yeah, I think that that's what that's what's going to happen is that is that as these things are shown to be effective. And, um, and uh, you know, the compasses of the world and a tie and, uh, and maps and uh, whoever else, uh, you know, puts effort into this space. It, it, it all is, you know, I think a, a wind at our back. Um, and, you know, at this point also, we're very happy that we're a uh, kind of, you know, thriving private company. Um, and right now, not, you know, not having to, you know, be looking at stock prices.
0: This is always a good thing. I think currently the stock market is uh, in unknown territory. I would uh, would flash it that way? Um, do you see uh, some disruptions in your area? I mean, um, or is it businesses usually? Is there any in the United States in in uh, on the East Coast? Is there nervousity on the market, or is there uh, any fear on the market in your opinion uh, when it comes to funding in your area?
1: I I think that funding has dried up um, you know we, we just kind of have been just in time to you know kind of make sure we we're, we're, we're pretty well funded um, but it at the mar- I think a lot of these markets have dried up to a large degree um, and um, and so that will be interesting to see what happens because you know when Everybody was excited about this stuff to the extent that almost anything could get funded. You have just a lot of, you know, dubious things, uh, people throwing a lot of money at a lot of dubious things. And so I think what we're starting to see is, you know, a lot of those things are, are, you know, will not be able to raise money and will fold. And but some of them are so dubious. There's not much for us to do about it. It's not like oh, that's a great project. Why don't we buy it? You know, uh, there's not that many things that seem all that valuable. But maybe there'll be one or two. But um, but we think that that's what's going to happen now. Is there's going to be a you know considerable consolidation, and you know it'll be a tie and Gilgamesh and uh, uh, and you know maybe one or two other names that all. Uh, you know, will, you know, will remain the, you know, sort of doing the, the bulk of the work.
0: Now I think um, you're absolutely right that the market is a little bit in a turnaround situation. What's uh, interesting to me is that uh, when I remember the last two crises, one was in 2000 and the other one in 2008, there was much more fear on the market. What at, at the moment, what I miss is this, this fear moment. So it was amazing the last three to four or five years. You were, uh, you were mentioning some names. I mean, they invested in Bitcoin, they invested in uh, longevity, in the psychedelic space, and they did a lot of groundbreaking work. And with that came a huge push also on the public market. I just, I just think about um, KFE Wood, for example, with her investment approach. Then in the tech sector, there was a market correction. Many public companies corrected the between 50 to 90%. And this also has ripple effects on the private market. But what I miss still is these fear moments so that people are really fearful and uh, pulling money out and uh, also from other sectors. This has not happened yet. What's your opinion on the market developments when it comes to investments in the coming one or two years in general, general economy?
1: I'm not a a macroeconomic expert, so uh, I'm probably the wrong person to ask, but um, I mean, I, you know, you you certainly get the feeling like, you know, the the stuff pushed at me is that, you know, we're entering, you know, a period where things are going to be, you know, uh, there's going to be more fear and more discounts over the next couple of years uh, and um, and that uh, you know uh, you should you know batten down the hatches you know so uh, uh, so we you know that's that's the the word on the street now what exact, what happens I think you know is 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 uh, you know uh, and not entirely clear but you would just think that we this is one of those times where tremendous amounts of money were flowing into everything from everywhere including the government. Um, and when that music stops, you know, uh, you know, you, know, you, you, you tend to, to see some, some big problems uh, arise and, uh, and a lot of strain. So I think that, uh, you know, uh, but on the other hand, you know, uh, I think that the, the, the biotech sector was already sort of in correction mm-hmm. for quite a while down. So if you think about it, it it like I'm guessing, and you you may know better than me that you know the, those sorts of cycles will typically last for you know one two th- two three years something like that and um, at, you know at most and so you know I think we may be at least for biotech sort of half halfway or so through that cycle, um, but it's hard to know.
0: When I look at the challenges in fundraising in 2008, I think the companies that are following your approach—that you create solid IP, that you are innovative—there is always market. There's always capital on the market for such companies.
1: Yeah, that's what we expect. So we're we're trying to take all of the you know doom and gloom uh, you know uh, messages I get with a grain of salt. That you know we if we create some strong products that actually are an answer to some of the mental health problems that exist um, and, and and that are really, you know, differentiated, that we should be able to, you know, there should be capital uh, that will uh, flow into that uh, almost in any kind of market.
0: I mean, when you look at the statistics, there is uh, this term dry powder. There is enough capital in in VCs, so they were quite successful in fundraising. Um, the difficulties that I see are companies that are not really innovative, but it's in all sectors currently. So that uh, the Me Too products, for example, where, where people just see okay, uh, ten companies are doing something noble, and I'm the eleventh or twelfth company, and then the other ones. Uh, which is also something that helps failing is when the product development doesn't move forward. So when they are just stuck in the discovery stage or in the preclinical stage, and there is no progress in the product pipeline. But I think as long as the company creates IP and uh, holds the team together and moves the lead candidates forward into the clinical development area, I think there is there's no there's not much to worry about.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, th- I, I, I think, uh, uh, we're, we're right now, you know, sort of all eyes are focused on, you know, uh, this coming year's data, data readouts and, and, uh, and building, building the, you know, building the, uh, our, our capability to run these trials and, uh, you know, kind of pretty excited about, you know, pretty much every month there's some innovation that's going on in the chemistry space um, sometimes i don't even know what's happening there's so much going on so i think it's you know it i'm encouraged it and uh and i'm you know i'm 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 rooting you know i having started perception i'm i'm rooting for the Atai people too uh, but i think that you know there's there's going to be uh you know room for uh for for a few good companies in the space
0: Jonathan, it's amazing listening to you, and I learned a lot about psychedelic drug development. We have five minutes left. You said that you need uh, to run off in uh, at eleven o'clock. You have the next meeting. Let yeah. me ask. Let me ask you one one final question. Well, we were talking about fundraising. Uh, is Gilgamesh open currently? Uh, to talk to investors, so there are some investors in the audience. Uh, if someone gets interested, can they reach you? Are you open for investment, or uh, are you waiting for your clinical data and then start the next round of financing?
1: Yeah, um, we're. I, I think there's a small window that right now, if people are are were you know interested in uh, investing in Gilgamesh, that that they should they can contact us and we can we can explain to them where we're at with that so there's some there's some there's some optionality uh uh you know in the in the very near future
0: what's the best way to reach out to gilgamesh is it directly to you via linkedin or uh, do you have an email address that uh, people should yeah, yeah. So,
1: so certainly i'm on linkedin and i check that uh, periodically and then uh they can uh you know also uh directly reach out to me as fine which is uh john j o n at gilgamesh pharmaceutical not not plural but singular uh dot uh, com uh, john at pharmaceutical.com.
0: if you don't mind i would add it to the description of the podcast so that when someone is interested they can directly totally. connect you um did, 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 I, did i miss something do we want to add something at the end of the podcast is there a topic a question open that you would like me to ask
1: um No, I I don't think so. I mean, I think we've covered a lot of material. um, And um, I I think that, uh, you know, the, uh, um, I I, I think that one of the interesting things about this space is that, you know, for people that have never uh, experienced these sorts of drugs, it's almost uh, ineffable. It's really hard to almost describe the, the uh the the sort of the, the the kind of uh you know so the word psychedelic means mind manifesting you know the sort of uh way in which these things are sort of a way uh, a way into um you know understanding human consciousness and understanding uh some of the challenges that that people have so um so i think uh you know i'd in, encourage people to you know uh um to, to read about it and and to you know uh and uh to uh, be uh, uh to, you know sort of to, so look at this uh what looks like a um you know a, a true revolution in 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 psychiatry you know that uh this this is going to happen now and uh who who ends up winning the the, the race and such as you know anyone's Guess at this point, but we think that you know Gilgamesh probably has a good a good shot at uh, at, at being uh, a major player in the space. And you know, when we look back now, you know, a few years from now, so no, I, I think there's no particular uh, uh, other uh, uh, questions. I think you know we've covered some of the issues around how these uh, drugs uh, have this w- way of um, of changing uh, the brain of of causing neuroplasticity and that. You know, this is—it's interesting because it's a very unusual experience uh, for psychiatrists because the drugs are both enhancing people's ability to have insight about themselves, and at the same time, they're having sort of direct biological effects. So, uh, so I think, and you know, even if. They, 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 there's a way in which those things probably go together in a certain way, but there's a psychological or sort of software experience of, of these things, and then there's this sort of hardware, you know, effect on on the actual um, synaptic um, and and circuitry uh, of the brain uh, that that these things are sort of changing, and and um, and uh, the, and so I think it's a very interesting time right now for us because of that fact that you know those are sort of a little bit like, you know, lights of a particle in a wave, you know, sort of like they're they're working through psychological mechanisms, but they're also working through, you know, uh, second messenger signaling cascades uh, uh, and, uh, and changes in, um, in the complexity of neurocircuitry that you can read out in neuroimaging uh, experiments and such. So I, I, I think that uh, we've covered most of the, most of the, uh, excitement here, and I think um, uh, you know I'd be more than happy to to uh, chat with folks who if they're if they're interested in hearing more.
0: And I completely agree to what you say that uh, there is a huge need in society for your products and for your developments, and I'm looking forward to hear more from your team and uh, the clinical results. Then I think next year when they when they are available, and maybe we do another episode when you see how the track works then in the clinics and what the results are and what the next steps are of the company.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for this It's been a great uh, pleasure and, and, uh, and, and very enjoyable. So I'll, I'll, I'll look forward to uh, uh, our, our, our next podcast episode.
0: Thank you very much for your time, Jonathan, and all the best and good luck for your team. Have a great day. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. Did you like the episode? Then please, please, please. Leave a five-star review on Spotify and Apple and make sure that you like, comment, and share the YouTube episode. It helps that the algorithm delivers the episode to people who also benefit from it the same way than you did. Have a great day.